Hi, this is Mike Metcalf. The system I want to mention in this episode is called Consequences. That is, there is a pattern of activity that starts when I do something or someone does something, and then there's a sequence of subsequent activities after that as a consequence of the original action. So one way to think about things, activities and problems is to say what will be the consequences of doing these things. Or put another way, what are the consequences of this thing existing? The classic example being when Archduke Ferdinand of Austria was shot, the consequences with the First World War and the consequences of the First World War were possibly the Second World War. Some people have argued that the consequences of introducing a carbon tax would be a government rather dependent on the generation of carbon in order to raise revenue. And the government would be rather keen on people generating carbon rather than trying to reduce carbon output. Consequences can be anticipated, unintended, unexpected, good or bad. Robert Merton has written quite a lot on this. It's sometimes very hard to foresee, because it is an act of forecasting, what the consequences will be, but it still can often be a useful question to ask. Indeed, many parents, especially those brought up in America, familiar with American pragmatism, will say to their children, there are consequences to your actions, or rather than this is the rule, this is the law, what you should do, do think about what the consequences of your actions will be. It was um, the American pragmatists, particularly William James and John Dewey, uh, and then later on, I think, Richard Rorty, who focus on consequences in preference to the scientific concept of cause and effect. As uh, Hume has pointed out, cause and effect has problems with it in terms of how you empirically prove cause and effect. So using the classic example of billiard balls, does the hitting of one billiard ball cause the other to move on? The philosophical question is an inductive one. You see it happen a lot. Every time you do it, it seems to happen. You do it lots and lots of times, but does that really prove that it was the the ball you threw that moved the second ball? As with the issue of white swans and black swans, the trouble with induction is you might find an occasion where something strange happens. As in when you hold two glass bottles in your hand and you swing one towards the other, can you predict which one is actually going to break? Because usually they don't both break. This raises issues in your mind of, do you really understand what happens when one hits the other? Of course, this problem also exists with consequences. Do I know that that was a consequence of this or not? But I was just trying to point out that there are empirical problems with causation and given it's so much the basis of science, science tries to understand what's the cause of things, it's uh, a philosophical problem. But let's now move to the perception problem. So what causes a tree to exist? 
Um, now you could say an acorn needs to be, or a seed needs to be present, but so does you know, water, non-predators, earth, sunshine, nutrients. There needs to be a system of things present before a tree will grow. Again, just trying to highlight the point that it's not about objects, it's about systems. When billiard balls hit each other, again, it's not one object hitting another, but a system of electrostatic forces. As we all know, the atoms are mainly made up of nothing, so if two balls hit together, why doesn't one pass through the other? And the answer is there is a system of um, electrical, atomic, gravitational, and whatever forces at play, and because one of them is sort of slightly more dominant than the other, the ball, when it hits the other ball, it moves it on. Remember the other classic example, that if you jump up and down, you don't go through the floor. And the reason is that gravity is a weaker force than all the other electrical, magnetic, and nuclear forces that are at work in the floor itself. And to take a third example, um, the light switch example. You turn the light switch on and the light comes on. Now, that happens most of the time. You'll have occasions in your life where it doesn't work. But you'll notice that there needs to be a wiring system. There needs to be light bulbs. There needs to be electricity being supplied to the building where the switch is. There needs to be a whole system present of which the light switch is only part. To so say that the light switch caused the light to go on is, is a shortcut. There needs to be a whole lot more present. So if we want to be clever in our thinking, we should be asking ourselves about the system and which particular system we're interested in when we talk about you know, where do trees come from or what are the consequences of a tree existing Okay, how is it part of a system? And with billiard balls, the same again. What, what does it demonstrate in the way of a system? Uh, and again with the light, uh, what is the system? How could the system be different? As opposed to this thing causes that thing to do X. I think it's wise to think of consequences as a bit as similar to trial and error. And we have to remember that uh, Charles Darwin, in talking about you know, the selection of species, uh, talked a lot about them learning the consequences of their actions being important. And the work of B.F. Skinner with the Skinner box and, and his endless experiments, the intent of which was to work out or try and figure out whether animals did understand the consequences of their actions. Could they learn from the consequences of what happened with previous actions. That the pigeon knows that pressing the green button rather than the red button causes the food to drop is slightly more difficult philosophical question than saying, does it know the consequences of pressing the button? Has it learnt the consequences from bitter experience? Talking about consequences rather than causes is a less difficult question. As all those who do statistics and do regression and correlation know, there's a big step from 
saying two things are correlated to saying that one causes the other. And even if you explain some sort of mechanism, as in, say, climate warming, where you say there's a correlation between CO2 and temperature, Earth's temperature, if you say, well, look, if I put CO2 in a bottle and heat it up, the more CO2 I put in, the quicker it heats up. You have a, an explanation, but whether you've actually proved one causes the other, especially in a very large, realistic, complex system, is unclear. Talking about consequences also allows more easily consideration of positive and negative effects. So you can say this is an unfortunate consequence of this thing, um, or you can say this is a positive consequence of this thing. So, for example, if a government in introduces a carbon tax, says if you release carbon into the air, we will take money off you, then an unintended consequence or a negative consequence might be that Treasury get to like people who emit carbon because it becomes a source of income to them. And it's an unfortunate consequence because it wasn't the intention when the new tax or the carbon tax was introduced. Perhaps the greatest strength of the consequences approach is asking what are likely to be the unintended consequences, what are the negative consequences, what uses will people put to this that we didn't expect. So it becomes a sort of critical analysis of the negative and encouraging people to think of the downside of something. So if we decide to build a new factory in Singapore, what are the negative consequences of that? If we're going to give welfare to people, what are the negative consequences to that? If we're going to build up the defence forces, what are the negative consequences to that? Another advantage, and one of particular use in creative thinking by using the word consequences as opposed to causes, is that we can move into comparing the consequences of something or the uses of something with the consequences and uses of something else. So we get an overlap. We get a potential for recombination. Therefore, we get a potential for innovation and creativity. Something slightly different happens when I say... What are the consequences of this thing existing? What are the consequences of a tree existing? They are that you, you get something beautiful, that you get firewood, that you get structural timber, that you get a, a, a place for the birds and insects to live, that you get something that generates oxygen from carbon dioxide. These are the consequences of these for the tree existing. So, in another language, you could say, what use is a tree? What uses can it be put to? So, the consequences of its existing is that it can be used for firewood, or it can be used for structural timber. So, we, we move to a sort of functionality view of the world. We see things in terms of their uses, or what use they can be put to. And, of course, this takes us to creative thinking, when we say, what use is a paperclip? Think of as many uses as you can for a paperclip. Think of as many uses as you can for a tree. Think of the uses you can for a tree and the uses you can for an axe. And you find that the two overlap. And you get some ideas of how to act. 
Combining the uses for an axe, which is to chop up and split and break things, with the uses of a tree, I come up with a suggestion for how we extract the wood from the tree, either for firewood or for structural timber. When I combine the uses of things, the consequences of their existing, I can come up with new ideas, new systems. Providing a wider example, I might say something like, what is the uses of this company, or what is the uses of this community? What uses can be put to it? It might be, what use is this industry? And having identified those, I could then look at things like, what use is um, futures financial market, or the Bitcoin uh, phenomena, or what use is family values and and I could put them together to come up with a suggestion for an improvement a a useful new system that combines the uses of these things thinking in terms of consequences is very much as a pragmatist would expect an act of thinking about the functionality of things what their possible uses are okay so my argument is that use of consequences is useful for thinking about things, activities, and problems. You will have noticed I was using the word concept rather than the word systems a lot in that talk, or just previously. Following on from the pragmatist, I would define a concept as a pattern of activity, and therefore it's very similar to a system. Some people, when asked whether a system is just a concept like any other for thinking, People say yes, but it's one that's particularly useful. So, for example, the concept of a tree might be better thought of as a system. It sucks up water and evaporates, etc., providing wood and oxygen. The concept of justice might be better thought of as a system of justice, asking questions of what does it do, what use is it. Justice is what justice does. And the concept of a face might be better thought of as a system. What does a face do? A face is what a face does. The concept of running or smiling or democracy or warfare might be better off thought of as a system. Of course, it's very much systems thinking. But back to the concept or system of consequences... When, back in about 1900, James Dewey raised the importance of the system or concept called consequences to assist in our thinking, he was mainly, I suspect, comparing it to truth. Because science had very much got into the habit of, is it true that X is so? Is it true that God exists? Is it true that... You know, mass is proportional to gravitational force. Dewey was a little bit worried that this had a religious connotation, this concept of truth. Um, cause it, and also idealism, because you're comparing some ideal form, which is the truth. Um, is this a dog? Yes, it's true it's a dog, because it compares to some sort of ideal dog. The rather strong example he used is... Is it true that there are gods, or that God exists? And James would say that's a bit of a, 
wasteful question. It might be more useful to say, what uses are gods? Or what uses can gods be put to? What is the consequence of a god existing? What do gods do? And his answer would be something like, gods are useful for reassuring people about life after death, for providing an explanation of the misery of child death, or, of course, your own death. Gods also have been quite useful for building communities around particular gods. Um, As has been pointed out recently, that belonging and believing tend to go together. Those who believe the same things sort of belong together. And if you have a particular god and particular um, cultural norms around that, you feel part of a community. So this is, you know, the uses of a god, the consequences of a god existing. He also asks about freedom. Rather than say, is it true we're free or is it true we have free will or something, you'd have to say, what use is it? What use is freedom? Does it, is the freedom to choose? This strikes me as a lot more productive. I mean, it doesn't have to be that you, know, you mustn't use the concept of truth. They could be used together. But you can see that it's much more pragmatic to say, what use is this thing? Is there truth in the fact that there is a lot of poverty in the world? A pragmatist would say, what use is poverty? What use can poverty be put to? One answer might be that one use of poverty is that it raises the issue of inequality or it provides a, a rallying cry for people to act by having identified the concept or it enables people to present with a certain uh, victimhood. It suggests a source of of cheap labour. It might, by pointing it out, it might encourage fairer trade, trade being the main way that we get out of poverty. It might raise spiritual issues about whether people who have no money are happier than people who have money. I don't want to make a judgment, I'm just trying to shift from is it true that poverty exists to what uses are poverty, what uses can be put to. There is a diagramming method used to particularly pick up unintended consequences. Uh, The Open University's Systems Thinking website has some very good examples involving uh, terrorists letting off bombs. So you set that as a, a midpoint in your diagram and say, what's the consequences of that? You can say what caused that, but the main thing is to come up with a handful of consequences and then from each of those say, well, what would be the consequence of that? And then from each of those say, what would be the consequence of that? And typically you find yourself in a feedback loop where, for example, if someone lets off a bomb then there's harsher crackdown on what's seen as the terrorist community. This causes bad will, and therefore more bombs are thrown around, which causes more crackdown on the terrorist community. So you get a sort of negative feedback loop. These diagrams would be quite hard to do the first time. There's a more simple form called consequence mapping or consequence networking, where you do the same thing, but in a more tabular form, 
and then you can use social network software to draw the connections between the consequences. Sometimes you only need to go three or four steps on from the original consequences before you begin to see reinforcing loops coming back. Remember, this is an exercise in trying to identify the negative or unintended consequences. This is a very big issue in government policy, where people cause make policy, introduce taxes with good intentions, but they backfire. I mean, ethanol was a classic example where the government thought, you know, to save the planet, less fossil fuels will use plant material to make fuel for cars. That was done. Then there was a massive shortage of food and prices went up and they had to abandon that as a bad idea. There were unintended negative consequences. And there's going to be such things for all human actions. Anything you do has got to have negative consequences. You're existing on this planet, even if you're the nicest person on Earth, is bad news for the consumption of oxygen, for certain insects and species, for grasses, for pollution. The question is whether you're a net benefit to the system, but there will be negative consequences. So for your assignment, or self-reflection, you might want to ask yourself, what are the consequences of your organization existing? Or what is the consequences of you existing? What use are they? What use could they be put to? The same is true of any products or services that your organization offers. Perhaps more importantly, you ask yourself, what are the negative consequences of your organization and products existing? What uses might bad and evil people put to your organization and products existing? What are the unintended and negative consequences of these things existing? And what new uses could they be put to? I do think this conceptual system, consequences, is, is really quite an important one for both critical and creative thinking. But it would be difficult to just come up with ideas, wouldn't it? If someone said, what's the consequences of this? You're thinking, well, I don't know, I'll have to think about that. I've argued previously that one way to do creative thinking is to have a set of concepts or priorities or organizing principles that you can reflect off. So, for example, if you're thinking about the consequences of your organization of some event, like a new law or an economic event occurring internationally, if you said, well, we want our organization to be more innovative, international, empathetic, or whatever, then you could say, well, what are the consequences of this event on our being more innovative? What are the consequences of this event on our being more international? Having specific concepts to reflect off makes this coming up with ideas about the consequences, positive or negative, is going to be easier. I mean, the same is true in your own life. If you have a set of concepts about how you want to live your life, I want to be financially secure and I want to be family orientated or whatever, and then something happens, someone dies or you know, there's a life event, you can say, well, what will be the positive and negative consequences of that on my have being financially secure and on my 
uh, being family orientated. Remembering that it's also useful to think of your organization as a system and to think of your own life really as a system within your family and work. So it's the consequences on that system rather than thinking of yourself and your organization as a thing or an entity. Okay, I'll stop here. Thank you.